everybody welcome back to pretend worlds real people as always i'm tyler and i'm recording this post 11 uh the night before this episode releases because it has been a crazy couple of weeks and i have lost track of time completely uh it's just been abs an absolute madhouse however on the bright side the wga had settled an agreement with the studios and now it looks like sag is up next to start negotiating at the beginning of october hallelujah oh my god i can't wait i i really hope all goes well because it seems like we're going into the uh, we're going in the right direction uh we stood in solidarity i'm so happy that this has happened and uh i can't wait to see what comes next uh so yeah now that that's out of the way and i can kind of exude my my excitement for it um also running on caffeine and just sheer willpower so i'm trying to be as cohesive as possible i want to get into this week's episode this was the first interview I've had since July before the strikes, well, before the SAG strike occurred. And I thought it was going to be rusty, but this ended up being one of the most enjoyable interviews I've had on this show. I spoke to somebody who is a writer, a director, an actor, a content creator, an improv artist, and somebody that just loves entertainment and the performing arts so much that they one man banded a full feature film this year. I, of course, am talking about the great Don Marcus. We talked about so much to the point where I think we talked for over two hours, but this episode has been cut down to all the stuff that I know you want to listen to because he and I got so excited we started veering off course. This was so much fun. So with this being as cohesive as I could possibly make it in my sleep-deprived stupor, Please help me in welcoming Don Marcus. Beautiful. I am Don Marcus, and I am a content creator. Uh, it's my day job, but then I am a filmmaker, and I'm just making my first feature film. And uh, yeah, so actor turned filmmaker is sort of my story. Which is, I mean... The Everyone has to be not just a triple threat nowadays. You have to do absolutely everything. And that's something we'll we'll get into this in this episode for sure. But I want to ask really quick, how did you get uh, to hear from, let's say, like, wh what was your upbringing like as far as growing up? Where did you grow up? How did you decide to pursue the arts? What what happened there? Uh, yeah, so I grew up outside of Chicago on a farm, and uh, then um, I got into uh, drafting classes, and that got me into architecture. And so uh, I had kind of a great run in architecture. I moved to Washington, D.C., and uh, Washington is an amazing place because it's very transient, and if you are someone who's kind of a go-getter and you you just like if you just put forth the effort the opportunity in washington dc can be great um it, at least it was for me uh and so uh after i worked at a few architecture firms and the last architecture firm that i worked for uh um was like amazing clients one year um one client gave bought me round trip tickets to Bombay and gave me $2,600 in spending cash while I was there as a thank you for working so hard on their project. Just like, just a thank you gift, like something they wanted to do. Uh, and uh, 
the same year that that happened, I was working on uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton's house as a, uh, uh, um, it was before she ran for the presidency. And so um, I had gotten a, uh, the guy that I worked for, his name was Don. Coincidentally, my name's Don. (laughs) (laughs) Don and Don. Don and Don. Don. I remember being in Washington. I remember being like somewhere uh, we're driving our windows were down. We passed a client or a client saw us and she just yelled out the dance. (laughs) But uh, that year um, we were at a meeting and Bill Clinton came to it and handed out these little uh, Christmas gifts to everyone who was at that meeting. (laughs) We went outside after this meeting was over, we like looked at each other and then we just like, tore into it to see like what what did we just get from bill clinton and it was a um actually do i have it up no i don't it's it's a cd it's a cartoon of him on the front of the cover and it's uh like blown into a saxophone and it's like (laughs) it's like all of his favorite sax music like a collection of saxophone music that he loves like put into a christmas album not even him playing it's like a compilation <laughs> i'm telling you it was like it was like the greatest thing we're just like oh my god <laughs> but uh amazing i love that but it, it caused me to start questioning um i could feel my trajectory in this career like if i stayed in architecture i could see where you know like uh the the path seemed like, like I could see where this is going. And it made me start asking, like, is this what I want to do with my life? Um, yeah. So that's when I started thinking um, hard about, like, is there anything, it, it, you know, you only get a handful of decades. <laughs> if you're lucky, you get this. So time is wickedly precious. So it got me thinking. And I thought I'm going to move back to Chicago to pursue the performing arts. And uh, I got a U-Haul truck and drove out of Washington, D.C. and came back home to Chicago and dove into acting classes headfirst. And that was 28. So I was 28 when I took my first act, when I uh, did my first acting class, which is a little late in life. I mean, most people are like, you know, out of the gate you know, like they know that they want to pursue something like this when they're younger. And this is a little bit later, you know? Yeah. But you have the life experience that you can utilize. And I mean, what really quick, what was it like taking acting classes at that moment? Did you feel like you had enough tools from just your life to kind of fall back on? Because you have experienced, hopefully not a lot, you know, heartbreak, loss, you've experienced a tremendous amount of joy and fear and all this other stuff. What was it like diving into those emotions in a classroom? It was the greatest thing in the world. The <laughs> I often, so I did improv and uh, theater in Chicago for almost a decade. And of course I was doing like short films there. And that's when I started getting into filmmaking. Um, I did a feature film. I often tell people that they should... Um, there's something unexpected that you can get out of acting. And maybe this was especially true for me because I was older. Acting was like playing music. You have to learn your instrument, except you're the instrument. So acting is like 
taking acting classes in improv was turning a mirror around and seeing who is standing in the mirror and understanding who that person is, like how they sound, how they move, um, all of those types of things. It was, it was, it was jarring in the greatest way ever. You know, um, in improv, you know, I had no idea how much work life and day-to-day life had like built on this sort of armor. I'm like, this is how we act. This is how we do things. One of the greatest examples is in improv. Our day-to-day life is we solve problems. You give me something, I can solve it for you. I'm here to fix things, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you will be successful in life if you can do that. Yeah. You will be unsuccessful, especially in improv, if you do that. It's like breaking all the armor off in going back to childhood. That's like what would make a good improviser. Someone who's not afraid of things, someone who's not concerned about people judging them. Um, uh, Someone, you know, again, it just the most practical thing is the funniest thing in life in, in an improv show is if there's a problem, if you fix that problem, it's solved. And now what? But if, you attempt to fix it, but never are able to fix it. That's kind of hilarious. So many acting acting for me was like the greatest thing in the world because it was deconstructing what society had constructed and and like put on me. It's like taking all of those pieces off. It was like amazing. (laughs) Not to mention the people were... The community in Chicago is just phenomenal. Uh, People don't move to Chicago to become famous or like make money like that. You don't go to Chicago to do that as an actor. You go to Chicago to get good, really good. Um, It's a place to just focus on the craft where craft is like paramount. Um, It was, it was, it was, it forever changed who I was in the greatest way possible. I mean, during those 10 years, did you have any ambition as you were honing the craft, you were working with wonderfully talented folks. Did you have any plans to say, Hey, maybe I'll, maybe I'll try my hand in in New York. Maybe I'll go to Los Angeles. Did did that ever cross your mind? hundred percent. And it's still something like, uh, um, I don't, I can't, I don't regret not having my, I can only imagine what life may have been had I moved to another, like spent my time in another city. And it's, I think as creatives and as actors, every person I know is asking that question. Am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? Should I move to LA? Would I make it in, in LA? Um, And there's no, there's no answer for this. There's no right answer. And uh, I, it's amazing how many people struggle with that or that's something that's like in their, it kind of messes with them. And it absolutely has messed with me at, from time to time. The best solution to this is to look at the game board in front of you right now and figure out what moves you can make right now. And um, I think the thing, Focusing on what means something to you, 
there's always a way to make something like to make something happen and just focusing on like like for me not being in LA is a great thing if you want to be a filmmaker because like I don't I don't need anyone from LA to say yes to me um because I'm capable of like shooting a film on my own as a one man band uh so I what I needed all I need, what I really needed is um, the, just the time and flexibility to just do the work and just focus on the work every day, you know, just do this then create this, then we move to this then we work on these scenes. And then I have to, you know what I mean? Just like the, the day-to-day work um, gave me uh, um, more satisfaction and reward than I could, I could imagine happening had I been in a different city, you know? Yeah, and I, I, I need to organize what what question I wanted to ask next because there's three or four already. But let's start with you moving from Chicago to Colorado yeah. and the impetus of that because it, it is, I mean, Colorado has become more of a uh, filmmaker-friendly region. You know, we are, we are really awesome out here, not going to lie, listeners outside of Colorado, but... Uh, it's also just a strange spot to to spearhead right towards. So what what brought you to Colorado? Easy, because you asked me had I ever thought about living in a different city, and I was like, the job that I had in in Chicago was definitely coming to an end, and uh, so I was like, okay, it's time to make the move. And uh, I actually was planning on going to LA, but then I met this um, amazing lady, and she lived in Colorado. So- <laughs> So, oh. the joke is that i i am on my way to la but i uh i'm i'm stopped in colorado no i i'm 100 joking we we are we're in colorado to stay for as long as i can see but that's how i got out here so uh uh, uh Brittany, my wife uh helped me co-produce this film that we are just wrapping up but um yeah, there was a some time that when I first moved here that I was like, oh, the theater scene, you cannot compete with the theater scene in Chicago. I mean, 100%. Um, uh, I've become pretty tight with people at Rise Comedy. Uh, have you ever heard of Rise Comedy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Great. So Asa... Um, he is, uh, the, the, uh, one of the leads in the film, he has been there for years and years and years. He teaches classes there. Wolf, the other main character, uh, Wolf Gang Stein, he, he's taught at Rise. So like, I'm pretty close with the improv community here. Um, but again, you go to Chicago and it's, I used to joke that if you could take a penny and throw it in any direction in Chicago and you'd hit either an actor or an improviser, no matter who you hit, they would bend over and pick it up, put it in their pocket. (laughs) (laughs) But Chicago, but Colorado has, I've liked it here more every year that I've lived here. And It offers the opportunity to show something that a lot of, that is not as common and is appealing. Like, um, okay, so I've been talking around in the film so much, so I'm just diving into the film. That's okay. Do it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Do it, do it, do it. So after, so after years of making short films, I finally uh, have put together a feature film. It was one man band. I wrote, directed, 
uh, shot, edited, basically 100% one-man band style, similar to like um, I had mentioned uh, Pete O's is someone who's had some success doing this. And there is not a greater state in the country that I, that I could have been in to shoot this film. Uh, I specifically made it a very Colorado-centric movie. Um, and I made it in a way that's like, I heard Scorsese, and by no way am I comparing myself to Scorsese, but I heard him say once early in his career, he thought that he would only make movies for the local, local population. Like it wasn't even conceived for him to like that people on a national scale, he was really making movies in New York for people, for New Yorkers. Um, and in many ways I like, maybe we're coming full circle where like, there's so much content out there that like I could be um, digital theater for, for Colorado where I'm making something wickedly specific for just the community here. Uh, and it's accessible to people outside of Colorado, but it is a Colorado-centric movie. Um, and uh, yeah, we so yeah, we are just wrapping that up. Oh, I'm getting lost. I forgot what you even asked me. No, no, we were just we were diving into the film. And as a, I've talked about it on this podcast before, as somebody who had grown up really just wanting to write scripts and and sell them and just keep creating stories left and right. I got to know what your writing process was like for this, this film that I won't spoil, but uh, I have seen it and I just need to, to know what was your outlining? Like if you did outlining at all. Well, um, so uh, I basically took three writing philosophies and like just pulled them in tight. And one is save the cat. Yeah. I know that book's a little controversial. Some people are like, I don't think they can, but I, <laughs> I'm like, I needed it because I had, um, like, um, I, I needed it. <laughs> the other one is Hal Ackerman's, um, how to write a screenplay that sells. I know it sounds a little silly, yeah. but holy cow, that book is amazing. And then another one was the guy, oh my God, who's the guy who wrote, uh, uh, um, Rick and Morty. The, the the screenwriter he, he's oh oh my god i'm suddenly blanking on his name but we all know his name listeners just yell out the name but i know exactly who you're talking about he does the podcast the screenplay writing podcast it's called yeah. uh, script notes yes yes script notes he did a podcast solo because script notes is usually two people he did a podcast solo that's just like how to write a screenplay and it is so great so I kind of took those three things and like kind of pulled them together. And one of the big things that Hal Ackerman talks about is just think about your, your movie as um, 10 block is like short stories. It's just one short story after another, but they're all moving towards something. And so you have like act one, act two, A and B, and then act three. Um, and in your first act, there should be three 10 minute blocks that kind of move you. It's like a mini play inside the bigger play. Um, and so that I use that a lot. Like I lean on that a lot, like to think like, Oh, all I'm doing right now is just writing a short film that should get me from here to here. 
And then I kind of know that I want to get over to these areas here. So it's kind of like when you break it down into little bite-sized pieces like that, it becomes a lot easier. You know, oh, I listened to the podcast you had with, uh, just recently with the director. Is it David, Steve Barterson? Did I get it right? Oh, oh, um, Balderson, Balderson. Balderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he was, that was a great guy to listen to about how he breaks down. Yeah. So we're really talking about the same thing. He may have done it more elegant than me, actually. <laughs> no. he, that's a, uh, um, if people haven't heard that podcast, they should, because, because he's even written a book about it. I, I like, oh, he's written, he's written several books about that. And then uh, a memoir for himself, but he's, he's been making movies. I think since he was 18, if I remember correctly, just feature films left and right. But he broke it down really. The beautiful thing is like, we have the internet available. If you want to learn how to become a screenwriter and how to write it, like it's right here, right now. You just have to kind of put forth the effort to learn. Yeah, I, I still have all of my college screenwriting books, uh, along with any notes I just ripped from the internet in a folder on my computer. Like those will never leave my computer desk or the computer itself. It's it's something you always have to have. <laughs> yeah. What What do you often think about when you're writing? Are you do you have I ah oh god so when whenever I'm writing so I'm writing something right now um and I've been rewriting this will be the 12th draft but I'm rewriting a proof of concept for a script I wrote last year that yeah. I want to shoot myself just just to get it done just to have that there so I can hopefully you know sell the script or get it adapted or something yeah. Um, but usually I, I'm, I'm more musically based, so I, I'll have an idea, but then I will think of the, the trailer in my head to a specific song and I will listen to that song at nauseum and it'll help me break apart different story beats, uh, that have occurred in, you know, whether it's, uh, act one or act two, or maybe even act three, but my, I'm very ADD about it. I have two dry race boards that have nothing on them because I just, I had to erase oh, them just to make sure. <laughs> okay, so I thought you were going to say like, that's where I kind of map everything out. I'm like, that's what I do. Oh, it's, it's, it's uh, absolutely what I do. And I had stuff on there that made no sense. I'm not going to record on my computer with this nonsense behind me because I, you can agree. It looks like the scribblings of a serial killer most of the time yeah. when you're just kind of going going you know offbeat but um yeah with 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 your film i i can see that i can see the you know the the mixing of those different methodology methodologies what am i trying to say methodologies yeah methodologies i don't know i haven't had coffee today so my brain is messed up uh but there is a very natural sort of approach you seem to have taken with writing the dialogue and writing the story. So when it came to putting everything in action and getting this thing shot, what what was it like for you? Did you start to get a little anxious or were you just laser focused the entire time? Yeah. Okay. All right. But let me address before we get off of the oh, screen. Yeah, yeah. I will say I often, so as an actor, my focus is to, create something that actors want to you know what i mean that like the greatest thing is to give an actor something that they're they, they relish in being able to pick apart the emotion and the words are fluent and um so i very much write for actors uh i i, I believe and um 
acting wasn't necessarily my the strongest card that I have. Uh, and so it was, this project was also a practice to see like, how well can I write this? Now my wife, uh, uh, Brittany went to, um, she has a journalism degree from the University of Iowa. And she also did some classes in the writing program at the University of Iowa. So, and she was an English teacher at the time. She's not now, but she was an AP English teacher. So I would hand her the script and she would just be like, boop, 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 like just, <laughs> just blow it apart. Like, <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, I got to go back and I got to. So like, I mean, uh, I worked with her quite a bit on like, she's uh, um, uh, on actually getting us, you know, the script together in a way that like, it's like, okay, this whole thing is making sense. I mean, there is these relative, there, uh, um, there is these moments where she would point something out and be like, oh my God, like, I never even like this doesn't even make sense because of this or this. And, and so she was a great person to bounce um, to help me construct the story. But the shooting process was so I um, so again, if anyone doesn't know Pete O's, they should check out. He did his latest film is called Jethika. Uh, and the one that he did before that was Youngstown. Um, and they're worth renting and seeing, especially if you want to see someone who just wakes up one day and goes out and like makes a film on his own, no gatekeepers, no one needs to say yes to him. He can just go out and make a feature film that has success, right? Um, and I very much modeled this project off of uh, hearing how he does things. So, um, it was a ton of work, but essentially I would pre-plan, um, I, I, I would pre-plan how we're going to do this, what we're going to do about food, where we're going to stay, like did all the pre-production stuff. Uh, day of Brittany, maybe 50-50 was on set with me, uh, helping me do things like run to, like if we, she was always getting food for us or just making sure like things were somewhat organized. Um, and, uh, but then it was like, we would have these days and I would schedule them out and say, we need to hit this by this time, this by this time. And um, it, it was nerve wracking until I got into it. And then it was just like, being in combat or something like that, right? It was like just as fast as you could go, try to complete as much stuff as possible. I should point out too, on my website, I have a, a bunch of little behind the scenes, like just like Brittany took some, uh, like a video of us shooting a scene. And it's like, I look like uh, some sort of, <laughs> referencing this to war, but I look like some sort of like, you know, a guy from combat with a camera. And, like, uh, and a, you know, we have like a little set out there. And um, uh, once I got going, like, it's just like in my blood. To, like, I, there's nothing greater than being on set and like working with your people and like breaking for lunch and hanging out and then like going back at it. Like everyone has the, everyone is moving in the same direction to like make this thing. Yeah, you, you you sounds like you hit a flow state once oh. you started filming. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was. Um, I, I on one hand, I want to you know say like it was enjoyable. We had such a great time. We really did. It, it, but the, on, on the other hand, like I can't, I don't want to underplay how difficult it is and how much. 
just like effort and determination you need to have uh, to push through. I often say that as soon as you turn on a camera, you find out how much the world doesn't want that camera on. You start going, oh my God, there's helicopters. There's like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, uh, there's like people with mufflers and exhaust systems that want to show how loud their cars are. Um, there's, uh, the sun is terrible. Now the sun is gone because the rain is terrible. Like the second you turn a camera on, you realize how much the world does not want you to succeed. And like a lot of filmmaking for me is just pushing through, just pushing through. Like you can, uh, just a, a, a relentless effort of trying to, um, move the project forward. Man, I and I've said this before because uh, spoiler alert to the listeners, we we were talking before this just because we never met each other, obviously. Um, but after you know you've shot this whole thing, you've done it, you know, with the help of your your partner and just the sheer will and determination to get it done because filmmaking with a group, like you said, is just horrible sometimes because you are waiting for all those external things to to stop showing off so you can get this one shot. Now that you, you know, the production's over and you're in the, the final steps of the editing phase, if you could, you know, walk our listeners through editing this thing, you know, if you're color correcting, doing the sound design, doing the sound mixing, 100%. how are you staying sane while you're doing that? Because that is where the, the huge bulk of it really starts to hit back. Not staying sane. <laughs> <laughs> Make it a huge presumption that I've been uh, I've been able to maintain a level of saneness, and I I uh, no, I'm joking. Um, uh, boy, cats. Oh, we got a cameo. Oh no, you getting on? Not get off. Okay. <laughs> this is perfect. This is this is what you see when I'm doing post production. It's just me editing with the cat up here. Uh, no, you've. I'm sure you have heard that you make three films, right? the one you uh, shoot and the one you edit. And that is uh, so true. I mean, this was very true for this project. Um, and the phase that I've done so many short films that editing is, and it's what I do for my day job. Um, so like I can cut stuff together pretty fast and with efficiency and uh, um the hardest thing, the, 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 the phase that I've just gone through that has been so important is sharing, um, and this is the link that I had sent to you, that link was the current cut of the film meant to get critical feedback from all of these amazing people that I have been able to connect with um, in the arts world. So um, uh, there's a few, there's a handful of people, I don't want to name drop, but I, I like, there's a few people that are, that, um, uh, have had some success. And, and so like, I sent it to them and I'm like, please don't be kind. Like the film, when we were talking before we got on the call, uh, I had mentioned like, um, you know, this, this project was something very personal for me. And it was like, I was doing it for myself. I was kind of mentioning like that. That's like, a, you know, the way to make that I wanted. The truth of the matter is we all as 
entertainers, as someone, as uh, performing artists, as uh, creators, were making, we, we, Rick Rubin's newest book is so great. He has a line in there that's like, yes, we're making this thing for us, but we're also, we also make art as a way to commiserate with the human condition with other people. It's like we're, we're making art. It's almost as if when I make something, I'm complimenting emotions and thoughts that you had, right? So like we don't make art in a vacuum. We are making this stuff to connect with people. And so when I would get this feedback, my very first thing was like, please don't tell me I did a good job. Don't tell me, like, I want to hear about the parts you think are working. Yes. But um, any, and I started jokingly calling them randos, like any random rando from down the street, I want them to be able to watch this and go, oh my God, that was super fun. Or it was, it got me or like, if it doesn't resonate with someone, like, right? Like, like we are doing this in order to like continue that conversation that we are all having as humans. And um, so I, I was, uh, I was like, tell me what we started calling the randos, Randy, Randy, Rando. And uh, <laughs> I want to know what Randy Rando thinks of this film. Because Randy Rando is not going to care that there were helicopters, that there was loud mufflers, that it was rain followed by intense sunshine. Uh, Randy does not care. Randy will only compare it to Ted Lasso <laughs> or any other creme de la creme show that we have at our fingertips on our phones. Um, also make the reference a lot too. We all love amateur baseball. Like if you're, if you found out someone at your office was uh, uh, playing shortstop at, at a softball league, you'd go to that. You'd have a great time. Yeah. But when it comes to amateur base, uh, when it comes to amateur filmmaking, that's not the case. People don't have a great time with amateur filmmaking. So like you have to get over a certain bar. Um, and when Randy Rando sees what you did, they don't care about how hard it was or what it meant to you or anything. It's all about, could you make a connection with Randy Rando? See, and that's, I love that you use that analogy because <laughs> you can invite anybody to a, a softball game on a weeknight and they will go. They, Yeah, that sounds fun. Little League hey. Baseball doesn't matter if they can catch or not. Doesn't no. matter. But no. it, it's like, what if I couldn't capture sound? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I have a 90 minute film that's just MOS for right now. Uh, and they don't know what that means, obviously. So they're going to, they might support you and go, and then they're going to hate the next 90 minutes of their life. No. I, I love the way you put that. And I, I do think having that, that perspective and that, and that sort of viewpoint when you're making a film is important to say, hey, I want to. I want you guys to check this out for the sole purpose, at least you know, for those you trust or uh, you know, those who can be critical. To uh, and the same thing for writers, tear it up, bleed all over it. I don't care. Let me know what works, what doesn't work. So when I fix it, right, the the public is going to hopefully embrace it. And with that being said, I want to see what what do you want to do with this film once you have that final cut? Obviously, you know, you could do 
a local premiere and you know get the cast and and producers and supporters and an audience to come check it out but are you going to submit it to festivals like what, what do you want to do with this project once it's you know it's finally done 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 the thing that i have like learned the most or i'm thinking about the most is that you when you make a movie a film and for me this being my first one it kind of goes into a library of your work and starts to kind of define your library of work and um the long-term value of one of, of a film like this is where i am placing the most amount of value uh it is um the, the immediate plan is to, uh, I've been teetering, but if I'm able to connect with Randy Rando, <laughs> his neighbor coincidentally called, his or her neighbor coincidentally called Randy Rando, may like it as well. So my biggest thing is just finding guerrilla marketing in a way that that I can find people who enjoy the art and would relish in it. My goal more than anything is to try to find those people and let them experience this and enjoy it uh, the way, you know, uh, the way they, they possibly could. Um, I think the landscape of, the landscape of movie making has just changed. The landscape of content creation, if you're going to make a, like an episodic thing, if you're going to make a feature film, it has, this has changed. Like in many ways, I kind of feel like, ugh, it's Hollywood might be broken or breaking. There is so much, um, I think any of the ways that we thought about promoting or distributing a film in the past is not what we live in in today's world. Today's world is very, very different. And so um, I was influenced heavily by the Duplass brothers um, in general. Yeah. <laughs> Mumblecore all the way. Yeah. And also like I often bring up and I'm surprised when I um, some people are like, oh, I've never heard of this, but the, uh, oh, I'm going to feel bad now if you're like, oh, I never heard of this. <laughs> <laughs> but the Calvary isn't coming. The speech that Mark Duplass did at South by Southwest in like 2015. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. I remember being around filmmakers in Chicago and they're like, yes. And this, what we're in is not a race. It's a marathon. And a lot of the people that I was with that were saying, yes, are like life got in the way and they're doing other, like I'm one of the one uh, of many, I'm sure, but it seems like not that many who like haven't like had some reason to drop out of the race. But I have embraced that uh, philosophy full force that like no one's coming. No one's giving me a green light for this. In the same way, when it comes to what do you do with the film, no one's helping me out. Um, I truly have embraced this idea of like the Calvary isn't coming. You have to do this yourself. Uh, also, the other, another book that like really had a big impact on me was um, The Rise of the Film Entrepreneur by Alex Ferrari. Do you know this? No, no, I've heard of this. It's the podcast Indie Film Hustle. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
It's a good one. I mean, it's filmmaker nerd paradise, right? It's, um, but he wrote this book. He's very audacious. The guy's <laughs> this huge personality, but it's kind of like he heard that, like the Calvary isn't coming. And he was like, and I'm going to write a book on it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the film entrepreneur is in the name itself. Like the new landscape for filmmaking could be that you are your own musician in your basement, recording your own music, putting it on Spotify, and you are your own management for your band. The same thing is true for filmmaking, in my opinion. Um, we're moving into a place where like, I, I don't know, I don't even know like who, who or where or what could help. Like, it seems like everything from the past is kind of broken. Um, and uh, so my goal with it is there's the immediate, yes, we'll do a screening for like friends and family. I've been pulled very hard by people. Uh, for, so what, some of the people I've been getting critical feedback is like, dude, you can't just skip film festivals. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of getting, I'm going to have a short film festival run, but I want, I want fans, not accolades, right? Like I'm not concerned about someone being saying like, well, like I got this, like this is, you know, it impressed this small influential person. I, I, I want, I want all the Randys in the world to be like, that was super fun. And I'd be like, okay, Randys, uh, help me make the crowdsource my next one. <laughs> Let's have more fun. Um, <laughs> I want to just make something that people enjoy. It's just, it's, it's an, especially in today's world where like, you know, we're sort of going through, uh, in today's world more than anything, it's nice to have this moment where people, you get to check out and just kind of go on a, a ride and, and escape for a while. And, uh, and kind of come back and just be like, oh my God, that was like, so it was enjoyable just to go on this little venture and come back. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree because all the, I'm a huge supporter of owning physical media, uh, just in a, in an age where something you bought on a certain platform can be ripped from your library without a moment's notice. Uh, and just going through everything that I love, that that I own, that I can watch and enjoy, they're not the things that we're seeing constantly every single day in cinemas right now or, or on streamers where it is essentially the same story, but it's regurgitated in a way that's not innovative. It's just the same shit left and right. Um, so I completely agree with that. But I, I do want to ask, as we're like we're, we're talking about you know, the, the film and your your experience making it. And just your your life in general and, and everything that's led up to this moment, you know this was coming, but I need to ask you if you have a party story you could share with the listeners, something that has occurred in your life that stands out so tremendously you could easily tell it to friends at a party. It doesn't have to be something you know that revolves around filmmaking or, or improv. It could be something that was personal. It could be meeting somebody. It could just be anything but i want to see if you had anything in your your arsenal you could tell our listeners about my go-to if i'm trying to uh my go-to impress someone at a party is um 
I have a scar on my leg from a Siberian tiger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I said uh, uh, in my early 20s, I was like, I, that's like your 20s are like your time to explore and like figure out who you are and what you're into. Oh my God. I had a wild 20s. Um, and I ended up, uh, I uh, ended up volunteering a lot of time at an exotic feline rescue center. And, <laughs> and uh, um, I, uh, one time, like I was there for one time I was there for a month straight. I just got a place to live close by and was there every single day um uh volunteering my time and um i uh, it was early in the morning and i was standing a little the way these uh habitats are enclosed um you know if you're if you're in certain areas if a tiger can get their paw through like a uh like a gate opening uh you know where they're, they're like there's just enough space if they can fit their paw through they can go all the way up to their arms so the the uh, part of the the uh, sort of onboarding for this was do, you don't want to be in a position where if that could happen because you're going to be <laughs> you're going to be like it's not going to be good. Uh, anyways, it was really dark and early in the morning. And we we're trying to pick up. We we're trying to get a a lion a tiger to the University of Illinois for tooth surgery, and I felt this little tug and poke on my leg and I was like I like instantaneously I was like oh my god I <laughs> pulled my leg back but they had been able to rip through two pairs of pants because it was winter time it was it was pretty cold out they ripped through two pairs of pants and one claw was able to get a, a good uh, a good little <laughs> part of my leg and so when I when we got to the University of Illinois Champaign to their vet clinic uh, someone was like, oh my God, you're bleeding. And I'm like, I always like kind of playing it down. Like, oh, you know, <laughs> and they were like, that's going to get infected. And like, we have to treat that. And so they treated it there and like put some ointments on it and stuff and bandaged it up. And now I have a scar in my leg from a tiger. How about that? <laughs> that was the last thing I expected to hear from me. <laughs> that was awesome. I, oh my God. Um, I, I always, uh, we have a Rocky mountain, um, animal sanctuary here, like way out East. Right. Never been. And, it's amazing. Oh, it is incredible. But you watch the people at work there volunteer there. I'm like yeah. you're, you're too close. Don't no, You're too close. I need you to step back a little bit. Um, it, yeah, that, that is, there is no difference between wow. a 600 pound tiger and your house cat. There's no difference. Yeah. Just the size. No difference. <laughs> So the test really is if your cat was 600 pounds, would you, would you trust it? If the answer is no, well, now you know. <laughs> Every cat I've had, no way in hell I trust it at 600 pounds, especially you are being put somewhere else safe and away from me. Um, outside of, of not getting too close to an exotic feline, uh, you know, habitat, do you have any advice that you could give our listeners? Maybe they're, you know, young filmmakers who are just starting out. Maybe they're going to school. Maybe it's somebody who wants to, like yourself, make their first feature. 
and they're not really sure how they want to do it, or it could just be anyone who's in the arts. Do you have a piece of advice that maybe you've held on to you could pass on to them? Um, yeah, there's no path forward. There's no way to do this. And there's no time frame that you could do this. There's, um, the only control you could possibly have is your commitment to the art. Um, <clears throat> one thing I really loved about Chicago was, uh, I feel like the community, maybe it was just a community I was around, but it, it, success wasn't as much a factor in whether people um, respected you. Commitment to the craft garnered more uh, uh, respect uh, and, and, uh, than, than anything. So just like, that's the one thing you can control. You, um, it's like, uh, when I hear people say the industry, I'm like, well, there's gotta be money for it to be an industry, right? So like only 1% of the people in this industry are making money, probably. You know, we're here because we are wanting to, um, to, to contribute to that conversation that like Rick Rubin was talking about, continue to that, that, contribute to that conversation, that collective conversation that we're all having, trying to figure out what it means to be alive. Hmm. If you commit yourself to that, you will be far happier than committing yourself to a, a, like, how do I feel successful or that I accomplished this thing or that I got to this location? Cause like, I don't know, man, there's a lot of things not in your control. Yeah. Yeah. I, all of that hits home so yeah. hard. Uh, even for, you know, those of us who've been doing this for a while yeah, <laughs> a reminder of like, especially there's no path forward. That is the biggest thing. Uh, and nothing can hurt you more than comparing yourself to, to others for sure. It's just, it's, it's poison. Uh, <laughs> but with, I mean, obviously I want to promote, the film, if it if it's okay, uh, is it okay to to? Oh, hundred percent. The show notes, okay, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. What is the film called? I don't think we've we've talked about that. I'll let you say that. A uh, Colorado road trip. It's a and it's a Colorado centric movie about a couple that take a third wheel on a car camping trip that almost nothing goes right, but it, it in there in lies the comedy, but it causes them to take a step back and reconsider whether what they're doing in life. And it, it makes them really like contemplate like what, where, what they, what they should be doing with themselves. So it's like a coming of age story for adults, which is hilarious, which coming to say a coming of age story for adults is kind of great because uh, I just don't know when you, you become an adult. Like, when is it? Yeah. <laughs> you get, the more you realize, like, I don't know when we arrive, when do we get there? Like one day at 75 and you go, oh, yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm there. <laughs> no. uh, and uh, uh, anything can be found at joyrec.com. So um, joyrec is sort of my umbrella. It's not a production company, but it's like a, uh, um, it's my version of digital theater. And I love comparing movie making to digital theater because it's, it's literally the same thing. Right. And it also deflates a lot of expectations as far as uh, if you uh, 
you know, when you say I'm making a movie, they're like, oh, you're making a movie, like a Hollywood movie. It's kind of like, no, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm doing a theater play. I just happen to be doing it on camera. I, I don't know. I, I love thinking about it that way. Um, but uh, so Joyrec is a uh, uh, this like pipe dream that I've had forever of like digital theater. And uh, Joyrec uh, uh, is like, if drama is like comedy and tragedy, then Joyrec, the word means like um, joy in, in rec. Um, so it's like kind of a spin on, on drama, but, uh, anyways, joyrec.com you can find is, is the hub for all the projects. So awesome. I, I, uh, honestly, this has been the, the fastest we're almost, we're actually, no, we're over it. We're at like 90 minutes of just oh, talking to each other without the recording and yeah. it's flown by. I, I'm so glad we had a chance to, to sit down and chat. And of course, you know, we're going to chat in the future too, but. Yeah. I, I have one more thing to do for the recording and then I'll, I'll stop the recording from here. Wait, uh, before, wait, before you do it, I have to say you're doing an amazing job. Like I, thanks, man. I have been sucked into this podcast and I love what you're doing. And I don't think enough people are doing what you're doing. Uh, like there's tons of podcasts out there. There's tons of podcasts about filmmaking, screenwriting, but to hear the performance side, I just don't know of that many um and uh yeah i just i i'm like enamored that uh, this has been terrific and i i just god i can't i can't wait to see where where this goes for you in the show and like yeah i think it's gonna be somewhere good i'm all thanks buddy uh you know what it's still i still look at it as the little project to get things to get time moved uh during covid when things were just at a standstill and i'm I have no plans on on stopping it. I just I, I love the fact that I can talk to people like yourself who were, you know, like like me. We're all we're all in the same boat. We're just trying to to make our art real and do something yeah. with it. And yeah, this is the actually you're the first. Yeah, you're the first interview I've had since July. Oh man, uh, with the strikes uh, and everything. I just I wasn't sure what was going to happen, so I had some other stuff in the bank, but. Yeah, this has been I, I it didn't feel rusty at all. I felt like we got right into it and it was just a really yeah. awesome conversation. And it's one that's going to continue to go because once you're you know, especially when the movie is is out and released, we have to talk to everybody that's involved with it, hopefully, uh, yeah. and do like a giant zoom um, sort of sit down, talk retrospective, whatever you want to call it. If anyone's up for that, I think that'd oh, be a joy. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, no, it's this has been Don, this has been awesome. I will say, I'll probably say it in the intro that I record separately, but I have to give a huge thank you to a friend of the show, Olivia Hendrick, for pairing us together. Yeah. <laughs> She's good. She's good. I saw her on screen. I didn't know who she was, and I was like, wow. Like sometimes you, you know, that person's good. And I went up to her afterwards and started chatting with her. And that's kind of how all this came about. But yeah. man, talk about a talented actress. Wait, where did you uh, watch her? Was it the Life and Death premiere? Yes. Oh, my God. I was at that. Oh, <laughs> what? You the person I bumped into? I was like, excuse me. <laughs> I'm trying to get to Olivia. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> randy's out of the way out of the way <laughs> wow uh, 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 off camera i'd love to chat with you about what your thoughts and like uh because yeah. 
you know, talk, talk about another go-getter. Oh yeah. I don't want to, <laughs> Olivia, yeah, in case yeah. you're listening to this, I don't want to give her a big head. Uh, we got to keep her <laughs> humble. <laughs> but okay. Last thing we do for, for this episode, awkward goodbye, which I know you've heard before. Uh, so, you know, yeah. we're, we're on camera and on audio. So I'll just do a silent three, two, one countdown. And when I point to you, give us your best verbal, nonverbal, actually best verbal and visual awkward goodbye. Okay. And then we'll end the episode there. You ready? I'll see what I can do. All right. <laughs> Here we go. In. If you're going to spew, spew in this. <laughs> <laughs>